This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey, this is Dale Jr. for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download with my co-host Mike Davis. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about Kyle Busch, his 200 wins. We're also going to talk about dumb things you did as a kid that got you hurt. Mm, and uh, we got some great stories between us and everybody else on social media. Also, guest Kirk Shelmerdine. It's going to be a great show. Let's get to it. Mm. Are you ready? All right. Rolling with the down. Rolling with the down. Rolling. Down. 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 Rolling. You take a leak into the creek. Best one. It's like a leak in the creek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my man. goodness! All right. Before we get to the rest of the show, uh, we want to talk about a partner of ours. Zip Recruiter's back. Woo! Right. The smartest way to hire. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com/slash Dale Junior. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. They have powerful matching technology, and they scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. D-A-L-E-J-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. The smartest way to hire. Man, that itch, I'm still wiping the, the tears out of my eyes from... <laughs> golly. What, when did you make that? I really kind of curious. Um, it was just me. Uh, I saw a blues riff that yeah. I kind of liked, and okay. then I, I you started the humming day, along to it. Day, I think, that it? was like two weeks ago I started on it. Oh, shoot. So, but then you I, know, I, I would assume that this is something, you know, you just kind of took you 15 minutes over the, the uh, Friday or Saturday. I did use my Zaxby's cup. That was part yes. of the That was the ice in my Zaxby's cup. Really? Yeah. They yeah. got good ice. That was good. They got great crushed ice. Yeah. So, <laughs> that reminds me of a trip I took to meet, hang out with Matthew Good in his apartment in Vancouver and he was doing demos for a new album and there was a sound of like a bell and he was like you hear that I was like yeah he's like that's me banging on that pipe over there in the ceiling he was in this <laughs> in, he had this kind of industrial apartment and he was banging on this pipe with like a kitchen utensil and that ended up in a real to song? create the sound yeah that's crazy oh, that's cool <laughs> so yeah very creative Matthew um okay Kirk's here let's go alright so here we are Kirk Shemmerdine's in the building <laughs> and at the big table, Kurt, thanks for coming. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, we've we've got quite of uh, quite a lot of questions to ask you, and I hope you're ready. Dale says you're a mystery man. Yeah, he, th- th- I love that because he's like, <laughs> we got questions that we ourselves so, are dying to know. Well, I guess that's still a good thing that people even know 
enough about me that I am a mystery. Yeah, it's it's getting go. to be a long time ago, some of that stuff. You're right. And I've always, uh, you know, man, I, I remember as a kid, uh, you and dad and y'all having all that success. And uh, that whole thing, dad was real intimidating. The team was intimidating. You guys had, you guys had uh, a lot of success and a lot of things going on. Y'all were on top of the world, uh, particularly in the mid-80s, early 90s. Um, and then, you know, as I got to, as I, as I got older, I started to learn a little bit more, try to learn a little bit more about your career and who you were. And it is interesting, and maybe you can fill in some of the gaps for us, but talk about, you're from Pennsylvania, how did you get in racing? Like, how, how did you end up on the cup schedule? I guess I was pretty lucky. Um, I, I had uh, a neighbor across the street that was the guy actually drove the pace car at Dover. He is a car dealer there in town, and uh, his son was about my age, and we went to school together and stuff and got to be pals, and, and so he would take us to the races and hang out. Uh, and I guess I'm probably 11, 12 years old, something like that, 13 in that time period, and just sort of had a, had a foot in the door like that. And by the time I got finished with high school, I'd, I was supposed to go to college. I mean, it was already at. Penn State and I didn't even know what I was doing there I, I wanted to race cars and and so I had a kind of a big talk with my parents and ended up this fellow Jack Whitby's his name he got me a job with uh, James Hilton down in Spartanburg so what kind of job it, just sweeping just hanging I was allowed in there was, was cool enough for me <laughs> I didn't even know if I was getting paid or not it was right. just like and the first day I got there kind of a day earlier because I, I put all my stuff I had in my car and just drove down there and you know, I'd never been away from home much, and and as as quite a different uh, culture than I was used to. But and I even got there early, and I was like afraid to go. I wasn't to do till the next day, and I didn't want to like get chased off before I was even supposed to be there. So, I mean, that's how uh, nervous I was, and how much it was like a dream to be able to be around race cars. But, you know, you were already in college. I, I had started. I didn't show up for any classes yet. This was like okay, I got you. September, and I was I either had to go there and really didn't want to do that, or do something else, and I just tried to something else for a little bit to see sort of how it went. And you worked for um, you worked for Hilton till '79, and eventually became crew chief on James Carr in '77. Yep. So how did like how did that happen? Where you just sort of you, you you got to do more and more and got more and more responsibility over time? And how did he decide one day, hey man, I want to being with a team like that? I got to my hands on kind of everything because there wasn't. Most of the guys were part-time. There weren't very many people that worked there. And, and you know, it was an independent deal, and there were several of them back in that day. And uh, so I got a little bit of, uh, you know, I worked on engine stuff sometimes, you know, cleaning parts, whatever, or sweeping floors or working on the truck or just whatever it was needed to be doing. So in a short time, I got a lot of, a little bit of experience in a lot of things. And, you know, it was a good move, really. Had I gone to work for the Petties or somebody, I'd been, like, mowing grass or something, right. you know, and probably not even <laughs> ever allowed to touch a car. <laughs> so it accelerated things as far as me learning what to do and what not to do. And, and one day I was the only one there full-time, so here I am, crew chief. <laughs> well, oh, wait, now, how did that happen? Were you just well, the only one there because 
Because of what? Yeah, so I elected myself, and then <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of stuck. <laughs> well, there you go. That's how you do it, Every, uh, kids. They just, you know, be the only one there, and you can just give yourself a promotion. There you go. So what's, what's the difference in crew chiefing in 1977 for James Hilton versus crew chiefing in the mid-'80s or the early-'90s at RCR? What What is the difference? Did, did James help you make a lot of decisions he, throughout the race? He really did. I mean, as far as that basic stuff that all the mainstay guys, the old guys knew that had – been around since you know the 50s or whenever it started the car still had stock frames under most except for the front snout i mean they they were they were just big old cars and just all that basic stuff is what james was good at and that was his kind of bread and butter thing and and he'd always campaigned his own cars and he sort of had a system for how this all worked and every little situation came up this is how you handled it and and I, i mean i learned a lot from as far as the basics go and then it's such a transition from that time period you're talking about, the beginning to end, that the whole sport became a sport, actually, instead of just some guys racing cars, you know. And, and it really grew a lot and changed a lot. And then that crew chief position has evolved nonstop, you know, right. since then, really. When you went to uh, – you went, you went from 79 to 80, you went to work at Childress's. I, I, a brief most of 79 i was with Diegard actually oh, really uh, daryl walter's car yeah how did that I, work that? Uh, i had no idea buddy parrot was there robert yates gary nelson i mean it was like the whole cast of wow. characters from home and moody just about it was was there um and they were had had a lot of success already at this point they're about ready to implode and i didn't know that gary and i'd kind of got to be pals and he got me a job there when i was i, I kind of saw that i was learning all i could at with James already and future wise I mean I wanted to be Winston Cup champion by now. Here I was already like three years into into racing and, and still not racing a car and you know and you wanted I wasn't, to drive. I wasn't sure well that was initially I mean every kid wow. ten, twelve year old kid does, you know, yeah. and it James was I wasn't sure how long they were gonna be able to survive. Things were changing and the independent teams were not really um in it's, Going to be able to – the way I saw it, there wasn't a whole lot of future right sure. there for me. Uh, it probably would have been. And now looking back at James, how long he stayed in it and stuff, you know, I probably could have had a job forever. But I wanted to, uh, you know, on and word and upward. And, and so I went there to Die Guard. It was one of the best teams at the time and, and a lot of success. And it was a pretty big awakening about how they did things versus how the small teams were. And – Seemed like all they did was fight, <laughs> and it didn't last <laughs> a year. Right? Probably after that, so maybe I just helped them get done. But, oh, wow! What um, was your responsibilities there? It was cool. I mean, we ran in the front, and it was a whole different spectacle than surviving was, you know. Right. And, and so again, I learned a little bit about how that that end of the society works, and uh, and all and some of the politics involved too. Yeah, more can, politics in those uh, established teams. Uh, yeah, and then the bigger it gets, there's there's more of that than there is racing, yeah. as you probably know. And so, yeah, but so I didn't last real long there. Um, I actually stayed on some extra races as just a crew member. I, when the, my mechanic job went away, and and I think I quit, but stayed on because I'd been I'd started changing tires. I was a rear tire changer at the end, and and uh, Jake Elder was another one. He was there, buddy. Parrot got gone, and Jake came in. So he kept me on for a little while changing tires, but I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I almost went back home. I, I just I had no idea what was going to happen. And then uh, Childress approached me one day and says, look, you got all this experience. 
you shouldn't waste it. And I need somebody. My guy's quitting. Yeah. And he kind of twists my arm. I, mean, I always didn't want to do it. Really? I didn't want to. I didn't want to live on the road all the time. I mean, it was it was all the time back then. Um, you just stayed at the track and gone and traveling and driving a truck and everything else. Yeah, a lot of people don't remember that you would go into the racetracks on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Talladega would open Tuesday, yeah. Practice all uh, week. Right. Dang, the wow. track would open from like 8 to 5. And Charlotte just, opened Tuesday or Wednesday. All day. And Anybody wanting to practice, go to – and oh, wow. sometimes <laughs> it's too hot, you didn't go because you'd wore out all your stuff. And, <laughs> you know, there was, a, there was a strategy to just how you worked all those days and kind of like still be good by Sunday, you know. Yeah. Like, so you were getting a little frustrated, it seems. You were getting frustrated at, at, at a bunch of different things, whether it be the politics or whether it be the schedule or was it the fact that you weren't driving yet? I was, I was again, so excited still to, to be part of racing, but I wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it'd be and I wasn't getting where I wanted. Yeah, I wasn't any closer to driving in a car than I ever was at the beginning, but there was some momentum, you know, I, I've was learning all this stuff and I kind of had a knack for some of it and it was I was good at some things and and I just didn't know how it was going to play out and kind of Childers sort of he can talk people into things Richard's one of those guys that he can almost will stuff into existence I think, just <laughs> at times I've seen him just like conjure stuff but Jedi mind tricks uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while to, to absorb that to, to get That's that from him but but he's he's like that he can, he can do stuff and I don't know he just got me interested he says look just hang out for a while. My crew chief's quit. He's gone somewhere else. Just sort of help me keep up with this for a little, help me handle it, watch it for a little while until I can get somebody else. And it took him 12 years to get somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and things, again, momentum, the current takes you, you know, and, and things were changing. Um, we started building our own chassis, which nobody did, just right about that same time. It was another reason he wanted some more people there that knew about the cars and knew everything kind of from one end to the other. And things just kind of geometrically started changing. This is about 81, about that time, and, and racing started getting on a map, and the technology was beginning to get a little bit out of Stone Age. Again, momentum and the current kind of takes you, and, and driving stayed on the back burner. There was bigger and better things out there going on, and yeah. it was exciting, and, and, you know, you get caught up in it, and years go by. I didn't know that you had inspired to be a driver so soon in, in your life and that that was always in the background. I thought every kid did, you know. Yeah. You, you, go to the, you go see a race and as a fan, and it's like, man, I want to be out there. I want to do that. You know, especially when you're a dumb kid, it's like, it looks pretty easy. <laughs> and those guys are the coolest ones here. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I want to be one of them. <laughs> They're the ones you're talking about. Yeah. So you work with Richard in 81. Dad comes into the team. Dad had a breakup over at uh, – J.D. Stacy had bought their team from Osterlin in the middle of the season. That lasted a couple weeks with Dad. Um, he ended up over at Richard's card. What was the conversation like with you and Richard when Richard was talking about getting out of the race car? It all happened – over a weekend at uh, Talladega, we were talking about being there for several days, but it's kind of when everything blew up yeah. and Richard was struggling again. He, he was probably the top one of the independent teams at that time. He had a, uh, he had some sponsors that were steady and, and a little bit more polished kind of than most of them. And, and he wanted to go places and he was kind of structuring it to do that, even though he didn't quite know how he was going to pull it off yet. But, one night at Talladega, the thing blew up with with Stacy and uh, I think uh, Phil Homer, the guy from Goodyear, was the manager of the tires. He he contributed a little something. 
uh, Junior Johnson, I think, put in some words with Chevrolet about engine things and like some of these missing pieces just kind of all materialized at once. I think everybody sort of had their eye on on Dale, on your dad, uh-huh. on keeping him in the fold, you know. Um, you know, let's don't let Ford get him. Let's don't let some of these things happen. This is a commodity we all need to protect and Chevrolet want him and um, just it, it all happened overnight and, and Richard and I were riding back from the track one night and towards the motel and he says, you know, uh, got a decision here and I think I'm going to do it. It's like one of those things that you can't avoid, you know, it's, yeah. it's not really what I planned, but it's here it is. And we got to, we got to jump on it. And, you know, he told me what was happening and we had like two cars and total. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, Doug Richard and a bunch of the guys came from, from with their dad's team. And all of a sudden we had a big sponsor and, we had like all this stuff we had to do in a couple of weeks, and I think last ten or twelve races of that season, that was eighty-one, I believe. Yeah, yeah. we we finished it out uh, trying to be big time, even though we were sort of just getting started. So again, it was sort of a trial by fire and jumping right in the deep end. But it's how you learn to swim and yeah. surf, I guess. So Dad moves on uh, for whatever reason. After the end of the 81 season, RCR, uh, Richard will say, will say that him and Dad had a conversation and Richard said his team wasn't ready for Dad just yet. But uh, y'all had three great years uh, with Ricky Rudd. Yeah. Um, well, 82 and 83, I think. In 84, Rich, uh, Ricky Rudd went to uh, Bud Morris. So two great years with Ricky Rudd. And uh, one on, sat on a lot of poles, uh, won some races. How can you explain – the the way that y'all built that team up so quickly to be that competitive, um, I mean, from from when RC from Rich, from when Richard was driving the car to when Ricky Rudd setting on poles and winning races, yeah, that, that was a big that, transition, that, and and in not that long of a time too. Right. Um, again, some of the stuff was on pretty shaky ground. I mean, I was coming in there at night. Richard would go at night after everybody went home, and he'd build his own engines back at this point in early 81 and he taught me I'd go there and help him at night and he taught me how to do I mean I could assemble one finally and when the stuff got too many miles on it that it just you're too scared of it anymore um, he let me put a couple of them together and put in the floor we were going to sell them to you know modified guys or something um, to race on short tracks and by that summer a few months weeks before this happened with uh, with your dad we were racing those engines that we'd already decided we were going to sell. Just there wasn't anything else left. I mean, the stuff was looking kind of slim. But at the same time, he was trying to expand. We'd Again, we were, we'd already sort of got off the ground building our own chassis, and we're learning our way through that. So then we jumped in and tried to race big time those last 10 races with your dad, and we did all right, but not great. However, whatever success we had was pretty much because of his talent and some sponsor money to buy new tires and things. The, the cars weren't that great. But we were seeing what would make them great, maybe, or what some of the problems were. And, again, building our own cars, we can control a lot of that stuff. And, and we could change things bigger and quicker than another team did. I mean, there's other than just whatever came on a chassis and you could adjust stuff, we had things we could build in if we decided what it was, you know. So, and Ricky was – it was a good time for somebody like him because he was really – a pretty good chassis guy and, and he loved to he liked to fool around with developing the car more than he did a race i think you know he was he was he had a knack for 
that kind of stuff and communicating it with us and and uh, these just all these little details that go in from start to finish we started tampering with that and controlling it and and we didn't know what we were doing but <laughs> at least we were doing it <laughs> yeah. and we could eliminate a lot of stuff that was bad and you know try to work on things that were good and and so that development over 83 and 84 i mean we we started getting some pretty fast cars um, we had piedmont airlines for a sponsor and uh you know our engines were getting better the cars were getting better and and ricky really had a knack for especially the short tracks and i think the first race we won was a road race out there in riverside and we had like eight people and that was counting the part-timers you know um it was huge i did Richard ever win no. a race? So this would have been RCR's first win then, right? Yes. As that far as the, as far as the cup series goes, yeah. Right. And he had a lot of pretty good finishes and especially in the points. And he might have had a pole position once I'm not sure about his record, but um yeah, I mean we, we went a long way in a short time and I'm still not sure exactly how and I was there. <laughs> and I still don't know exactly all the factors, but I got a question, and maybe you already know the answer to this, but, like, I'm hearing out of Kirk here uh, a lot of uncertainty during this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are moving fast with the expansions and stuff, but I'm hearing uncertainty, and I also am hearing that there was sort of a – I don't want to call it a bidding war, but when, when Dale Earnhardt becomes available, obviously that was the conversation in the garage. So I, I guess my question is, do you recall what made Dale Earnhardt choose Richard Childress to in the first place? Were they already buddies? Because, you know, I'm hearing from you sort of this. Probably all the established big teams had contracts with their current guys, and maybe he didn't want to get hooked into something. He needed to do something now like this week. There wasn't much space between races, and stuff went bad on a Monday, and we got to have another car by Sunday. I think Richard was probably his best choice. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, availability. Uh, yeah. And, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like the last girl at the bar, you know. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think we both surprised each other how well it really did go, even considering we didn't have much to work with. We turned some heads, you know. Everybody knew was Dale was that great, or they thought he was, but he hadn't really had the success he he got later. You know, he was still sort of a question mark. He, he Nobody doubted his talent, but whether he could uh, – avoid wrecks and do the things you had to do to win championships was still the jury was still out on that i think and, was that and, your impressions of him too i mean like you no personally? we just we knew he stood on the gas and this was gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be fun <laughs> plus go. we got we got new part i'd never seen new brakes before <laughs> and stuff for cars that might this is gonna be so cool you know and we thought it would, we'd do better than we did of course it takes a whole lot of other things than that but um no we were just stoked about it and i think the doubt you were mentioning before uh, was more looking back now that we 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 thought we knew everything that was going on. We you know we were we were sure about all the stuff we did, even the mistakes. I mean we we had confidence in ourselves, even though looking back, man, it was I don't even know how we did it. Yeah, y'all, uh, you know, you, you kind of built that team up with Ricky behind the wheel, and then uh, I guess you know you're in the shop one day and y'all find out that. Ricky's going to move to Bud Moore, and Bud Moore is going to send Dad to, back to Richard. What was the reaction in the building and around the the team at that moment when that decision was making? Again, it was another big step, and it was positive. We'd kind of always wanted him to stick around, and and I think that story is true about he and Richard. They had really hit it off in that short time period, and and saw a lot of had a lot of same kind of upbringing as far as racing goes, and and um. 
they hit it off it's the best thing to do and i think yeah. they trusted each other and um you know we, we weren't we knew we weren't up to snuff at the time and but over those two years with the piedmont car and ricky knows uh, we kind of got we got there we got a whole lot better we got our chassis figured out and and or at least a basic start on them and we'd always wanted him to come back and sort of hoped it would and and they, they made it happen you know yeah. people involved got it got it to go and uh we kind of just swapped with a 15 car, and, and off we were. Off so, we went. So Dad was aggressive, um, and there was a lot of times in, especially the 80s, uh, when he would get himself into some hot water. Wrecked Darrell at Richmond that year, uh, coming down to the final when Kyle won his first race in the Wood Brothers car. Um, spun Sterling out in the middle of the race at Bristol, the – <laughs> the Winston with Bill Elliott. I mean, I'm just going over things that come to the top of my mind. He was polarizing, and he I, he was a winner. You knew when you went to battle you had the best guy behind the wheel. I know that you felt that way, but how as a team did y'all navigate that, those choppy waters? Like, how, how did y'all – I know, you, you know, you can try to describe some of the moments there where maybe like the All-Star, the Winston – in 86 or 87 when he, him and uh, Bill are beating on each other and Dad wins the race, um, that was, there was a lot of hurt feelings. You know, how did you guys, how did you guys navigate For the us, garage and all that? We, we figured we weren't supposed to be there anyway. Yeah. We, no matter how big we got, it was always like us against what we figured were the big teams, all these well-financed Y'all factory Y'all still deals. felt like a small team. No matter what we – and we weren't really. Yeah. Um, so – all this stuff you're mentioning as controversy, that was positive. That was great. That was all part of our uh, persona we were learning to get, you know. <laughs> That's and awesome. so, you know, the more stuff he got into like that, that was better. I mean, we we supported him. And, and I mean, if he backed into somebody in the parking lot with the van, it was their damn fault for parking there. <laughs> it was just we had each other on anything. It didn't matter. If he did something, you know, we were kind of like look at each other and oh, who's doesn't matter. That's yeah, this was the game plan. He was supposed to do that and he wow. did a pretty good job, didn't he? You know, yeah. like just we we sort of tried to build that all we could and his confidence got better, the cars got better. We were able to sort of figure out what he was going to be in the front of the other cars. It didn't matter How he got if he was going to go in the fence <laughs> or not or had to take them all out to do it. He was going up there. So you might as well just accept that and give him what he needed to do it with and and you know we we had to alter a lot of things and we kind of demanded that let's let's let the guy hold the gas wide open if that's what he's going to do instead of telling him to slow down that ain't happening let's fix the car where he can hold the thing wide open or close to it so you know we we just had that attitude the the more aggressive he is or however you want to term it the all that it started later they started calling it you know the intimidator stuff or whatever but just the, the more afraid of us they were, the better. So we tried to back that all we could and even even enhance it a little bit. Like one time did you ever go, wow, that was a little screwed up. But, you know, like one time, you didn't have to publicly say it, but did, did you, just everything he did, it was. We wouldn't let ourselves think like that. All of us, the whole team was, didn't matter what the other one did. It wasn't just Dale, it was each other or. We were we had our, each other's back, that's and that's something you can't do cool. nowadays. Yeah, yeah. No. and it's such a crazy mixture of people. None of us had individually had had that much success really anywhere else, 
So we knew this was our only shot, I guess, but it's also kind of what made the cohesion. We, and we kept almost the same lineup for about the whole time. Right. But how many people were we talking about? How big was the team? At the start, six or eight. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, at the peak of it, probably 20. Or, wow. At the most. I mean, we only had four, five, six cars. Wow. Uh, by, like, 1990, you know. Um, it, it took a lot of people, and we were slowly taking on more. But, again, it was us – the big teams I had twice that. and Y'all could have had 50 people and y'all have still been the small team in your head. That well, I don't think we could have controlled things as well. Um, you know, we all worked twice as hard and we all worked well together and trusted yeah. each other and knew that. And we didn't want new guys in there changing right. stuff around. And that was a, a blessing for a while. And, and as things developed, it kind of made it tougher to, to win. That's kind of where I sort of started fading out of the picture. But um, for the time period that it was – if you were going to win something or you wanted to be a contender for a championship or whatever, you had to beat us. And that was for six or eight years. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was fun. You won back-to-back champions twice, 86, 87, 90, 91. Um, 92 was your last year crew chief in the Cup Series with RCR. Yep. Uh, how, what were you thinking? What was the mindset for you going through that process of making the decision to step away really in the middle of y'all's peak? I know there's probably some things going on. Um, the the performance fell off in 92. Still a good season, but only one win versus four in 90. Uh, versus one. our other seasons, it was yeah. terrible. Okay. Really? We won one race, and it was a 600. And had it been 500 miles, we'd have been like 10th or something. I think he just that lasted. beat him that last 100 miles because it was him, and he was pissed off and like, I'm going to wear him out. And <laughs> it stayed green for a long time and, you know, whatever. But that was the only race we won and kind of endurance our way into that one. We weren't fast enough. I didn't. The cars weren't fast enough. I didn't think. And and I mean, you got to have them beat before you go to the track. It ain't. You don't race. Mm-hmm. Racing is like for the just to run the laps out. But where you beat them at is before you ever show up. And my view of what that was going to take, and especially in coming years, it, it was getting to be a bigger and bigger undertaking. And you had to start planning stuff now for next year, even. And and the, the, that foundation, the way I just individually thought it needed to be wasn't being laid out to I wasn't gonna be able to do my job increasingly more uh it was gonna get tougher for me to try to make us all look good or for everybody to to win like we'd been used to you know we had them killed a few years ago and now we're like struggling to stay up and and I didn't see the things happening that I thought and I'm just one part of it but um that I thought needed to happen and nobody could even agree on what was wrong we were kind of arguing about, well, this is going to make us faster and that's going to make us faster. And whether or not we had time to do that or how practical things were, we just couldn't agree on stuff. And I don't know, I'm, they wanted me to stick around and, and, you know, they said, well, we're going to pay you more if you want or what, what's wrong, what's the deal? And I just, I couldn't do the job I'd been doing. I didn't have the tools I thought uh, that I was going to need to be able to maintain the success we'd had. And I didn't really know exactly what I needed. We, we kind of figured out as we went in the past and ended up killing them. But then when that stopped, how we going to keep killing them was lost on me. And I lost on all of us, I think. And I just, I don't know, I was, maybe they needed somebody else yeah. in there and a um, lot of things. But, and you get burnt out too. Um, everybody's, you and everybody's done it for a long time. It's, it's not the easiest life. Yeah. And I'm in my 30s. Uh, I was a new dad. Um, I'd been underneath those cars uh, and never even looked out for since I was a teenager. There's a whole lot of other life out there, a lot of other things, and, and you know, I was starting to wonder about that stuff. And 
just, I don't know, I aged out. I, I was wore out. I mean, it, it was a hard, I guess. Uh, yeah. Again, 30s, a little early to retire, but we'd been at it a long time and, and, and more intensely than most, I think, all of us. And a lot of things went into it. But, yeah. Uh, so I, I just quit. <laughs> so going to another team was never in the equation? No, and, and I wouldn't have sold out like that. You know, oh, so they you- said, well, who hired you? You know, Dale thought somebody else was – Taking you away. Taking me or something. I said, man, I'm, I don't want another job. If I can't do this one, how am I going to do something else? With, I don't know anything oh. about the team or whatever. Again, I was still I was a little lost at what was going to be next. So that's how that went. So you go a couple of years. Uh, you actually started driving. When, you know, you drove a few races ahead of the Sportsman Series at Charlotte Merge Speedway. You picked that up around 1999 or 1989. Yeah, I, I'd been actually racing on what few off weekends we had. Uh, Saturday nights at Bowman Gray Stadium really? was actually the first first stock car race I'd ever done anything besides go karts, um, and actually won a couple of those in in six cylinder class. Um, it was you know it was great, um, but it was hard to squeeze it into everything else. I mean, the, the race team consumed everything you could muster, and um, I had crew guys. I had people that could sort of handle most of it. So really, I just kind of went and set the car up and drove it there. It didn't take a lot of time, but it took some of my attention. Um, but Dale and Richard were both behind it. I mean, both of them understand uh, when you got that yeah. drive to do it that you need to you need to try it or get it out of your system or one or the other. You know, you yeah. you, you you can't just die not knowing. Um, and even when it, it it graduated into the sportsman class there in Charlotte and some of those places, um, super speedways is a huge step from short tracks no matter how good you are just the the wind there the things that come with going at kind of a speed is a whole nother world again they backed me on it it wasn't i had a whole another shop whole nother everybody to handle it all i kind of had to do was show up but uh still they could have said no man we don't want you to take the risk or we don't want you to do it but i think he and dale both thought it was it'd be good for me to see some of the other side of what what it, what it is on the other side of the windshield all the same stuff we knew but it, from another perspective can only make you better plus i think they wanted me to get it out of my system too that first sport, sportsman race dale was with spotter he was sat he? up there in the condo on the radio and i wish i could have had a way to record that because oh, it you was gold he's telling me about <laughs> the other drivers and what their cars are doing and i'm seeing the inside of his mind for two hours the whole time he's, he's talking and mumbling and Stay, stay in that gas, boy, don't you? And, and like, what's his name? He's sideways, so what you got to do when you get to him is this. I end up running second. The guy that won the race got thrown out. Um, I got paid for second place on, on a completely cold turkey first time ever on a super speedway, and he was a big part of it, really. Yeah. But the winner got thrown out? Something, yeah, something was Ill, so illegal on his car. So you're the winner. No, no, I, I was third or fourth, and oh, one okay. or two guys got thrown oh, out. I think I finished third and got Ended up a second. Yeah. Second. Gotcha. yeah. Yeah. You ran, you eventually won that race. Uh, but it impressed your dad. He was like, man, we just knew you're going to wreck about 10 laps in as soon as you got tired. <laughs> and Charlotte, and you know about the Charlotte track, about 20 laps into the race, he goes, How's your <laughs> neck right now? He, 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 and it was exactly the lap before that I'd noticed, Holy shit, my neck hurts. <laughs> Charlotte's one of those tracks, it's, it's, it's tough on the G forces. And, and, he knew how long it would take. For you next he said at the damn lap that I felt it. Like, <laughs> that is how does he know what I'm thinking? Because he knew. And so, I mean, you know, my car was pushing some, and he'd tell me how to 
what to do about that in different situations. And like stuff, like I say, that stuff was gold. Um, so yeah, man, I, I sort of got to thank him for. Did you ask getting him that good of a start? I, I don't remember. You don't remember? I think it was more he he wanted to be yeah. like trying to look out for me and just make sure that you know I didn't get killed. <laughs> um, but it just started, you know, don't worry about it. I'm doing it. Once once he made his mind up about something, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> it already had happened heard. most of it yeah. by the time he tells you, you know. That's what I've always heard. Yeah, so you had uh, you ran in the Sportsman Series, won that race in 1991. You go into the ARCA Series. You had 50 starts in the ARCA Series, three wins. Your last race there in 2003, which you actually um, you won it in James Hilton's car. Yeah. So, like, full circle here. It was. How it was, did that happen? I, I was just about done with the ARCA series. I didn't. We didn't have our own car anymore. And um, actually, I think that was my cup car. That was. That was. I owned a car, but I hadn't run an ARCA in a while. And I, I forget what year this was. Maybe about two thousand two or three, something yeah. like that. You might have said, but we didn't have any points. We didn't have a car number. I wouldn't. It was the only ARCA race we'd run, and not even. A, the season before, I don't think. And so, oh, man, let's go run this race. Had some sponsor guys interested in it and had an engine, some stuff left over and a decent car. But we used James's car number. So he was, for that week, he was the official owner and it was had the 48 on it. And that was just going to be his fun, nostalgic thing anyways. Kirk's finally driving the 48. That's what I moved to South Carolina for in the first place. And it never happened, you know. Uh, but here we are, one of the biggest tracks around. And, and even though it's an ARCA race, it's, you know, it's like a prelim, but let's have you know let's have some fun and the race was long enough where we had a pit stop at least once for gas and tires and stuff and so i had i had enough to make it the end and there was another caution that came out and i thought it was going to rain for some reason the weather report and maybe there'd been a drop or two of rain on the windshield but anyway i stayed out i didn't get tires or anything i just banked on it raining and we actually started back and ran about eight laps and then it did rain and i'd, I'd kept a lead from from just staying out under yellow i was in about six or seven before that so i mean the kind of the the gods were looking out on us, right. out for us that day, but it was great. I mean, it was James's. I didn't know it at the time. It was his only win. Yeah, um, he'd won a, one of the Cup races way back in '72. I think he won a Talladega race one time, and he was Rookie of the Year and second in the points in like 1965 or six. He was the only one done that except for your dad in '80 or whenever that was. Rookie of the Year and second in the points in yeah. the same season. So, but I didn't. I didn't know he never won a race. So this was this was huge and. It ended up being a big, big day. You ran two truck races, thirteen Busher National races, uh, twenty-six Cup races. Um, you even drove for Jimmy Means, who was my favorite. I, well, so when you and Dad were racing in the set in the eighties and the nineties, I was a big Jimmy Means fan. And, yeah, uh, I knew that. So yeah, so you drove for uh, Jimmy in nineteen ninety-four at Dega. Um, and, so why did you? Racing in the Cup Series is nearly impossible for an independent team, particularly this you know in this time. They make it work. And you know you know that as well as anybody how they make it work. Why do the independent? How does the independent guy push through the challenges financially, um, getting help? Um, why this, did Why did you continue to do that? It's where my background came in. You know, I, uh, learning the ropes with Hilton and with Richard Childress also. Um, Second nature kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I mean that was kind of my upbringing, and. Even though nobody been, had done it in 10 years, I don't think. I was the only one out there dumb enough to try it, I guess. But I'm in my 40s. I'm not going to get hired as a driver. It's starting to be a lot of kids come in and, and a lot of factories and money behind them and things. Whatever it was, I'm, 
I'm pretty much too old to get a drop a job, especially in a Cup Series. And I was just so not going to ever be any closer. I figured I had to I had to do it however I could do it because it's just something I it was a goal of mine. Yeah. And you know we ended up pulling off a few things here and there and, and that that nobody could do. I don't think, especially in the time frame that we did it, and with the stuff we had to work with and the cars. And, there's none of that really I'm proud of because, I mean, I'm a car guy, and, and if you saw the junk I was riding in, I'd, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself, dude. You, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not really my uh, uh, claim to fame at all, but it was all we had. And I was either going to race or I wouldn't, and this was the only way I saw to do it. Yeah. Your racing career, though, started in 1981. I guess so. Yeah. So you're on the stat books. <laughs> You're on the stat books as having started at uh, a race at College Station, which is Texas World Speedway. Oh, yeah. In a car owned by Richard Childress. How did that happen? Um, again, we're doing the independent deal back at that point, and they they made the West Coast races kind of in, in together, so you could conceivably do it in one trip, even though nobody had a hauler that would haul two cars. But we took two trucks and trailers out there. We did the Texas race, and then people would swap cars and swap all the other stuff, take it home, and then go on to California. So at the time, we were there in Texas with two cars. We had the road race car with us. The field wasn't full, so let's get those other cars and qualify them and go to it. Your dad loaned me a driving suit. I had this really? big bright yellow. <laughs> dad loaned I had a driving suit, too? bright yellow one of those Austrian suits on. Wow. And uh, gave it back to him. It didn't fit or something. I wore one of those Goodyear ones, those little shiny things. I yeah. thought they were cooler, but... Um, <laughs> I had number eight on it, and we made the three into an eight, and it had McDonald's on it. Richard had a local McDonald's deal, just Gave a, a franchise <laughs> for the Riverside race, but it was already on the car. So oh. here I was with some number eight and a big-time sponsor, and, and, you know, it was what it was. made like three laps, but yeah. uh, that was kind of a little uh, inkling of things to come, maybe. I didn't know it at That's the time. Interesting. Were you at all nervous, even though you knew you weren't going to finish that race, you were going to go out there and start it for the money? Oh, I had to be... In uniform and back in the pits before the first pit stop. Like to, to there was work, no to do your job. There was no yeah. There right. was no talking about uh, how long you're going to run. But were you uh, nervous though, just to pull out on the racetrack and start the race? God, I would have still been nervous I even don't knowing. <laughs> oh man! But it was like, hey, you said you wanted to do this, so here, here you, you go, go. <laughs> <laughs> and you better go fast too. You had a little bit different idea. There was two or three <laughs> other guys doing the same thing, and yeah. with just the camber and everything's all backwards, you know. And, uh, it's a road course I, I think I beat one guy, so I'm like, hey, at least I wasn't the damn slowest. There you yeah. go. That's a bad, fast place. There you go. A, yeah, that's not the huge first place. It's not the best place to start out. But uh. <laughs> hey, Kirk, I, I've got a couple just random questions here. But like, you know, you were talking, you were walking us through the '80s, and 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 Dale Earnhardt coming in. What was your first impression? How much did this guy start showing up? And what do you remember from him at the track? Um, did, was he ever in the way? Was he not? I mean, there's always this, there, there's always this you know, the go-to B-roll footage of Dale Jr. sitting there in the garage with one of the crew shirts the on. TV commercial, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what was your recollections? It, he was young. Yeah, I was a kid. So you can't uh, – we didn't notice that much. I mean, he wasn't in the way. He was, he was Dale's kid, you know, cool. But we had our thing to do, and everybody had their job, and – I don't have a lot of particular memories of a, any certain one day. I, I do remember him. He'd be there sometimes in his, in his uniform. And looking back now that I've been a dad and I got two sons and I, I kind of know how little boys think and stuff, 
I wish I'd given him a job. Or, Hell yes. You know, it, it wouldn't have hurt anything put him in charge of anything or let him roll tires. Or, But I didn't know what his dad would say. I didn't know, you know, if I should be telling him stuff to do or not. Um, oh, I understand. And we were, all of us, completely just focused on what we had to do, and I couldn't let fun stuff be a distraction maybe. That I'm was, not sure how. No, Looking back, I regret that, though. I, I wish I'd have, like, Giving him, him something and said, this is your, you know, give him a carburetor to take apart or that something. That is exactly just, the way, way he describes it. It was exactly the way it was. And, and I know he me. felt like, let me do something. He just wanted to be there. He wanted to be part of the team. He wanted to be with his dad. He wanted to be, I think he wanted to be with, hang out with us more than his yeah. dad. You know, he got to hang out with his dad all the time. But, yeah. Uh, and I just couldn't let myself see that, I guess. Or yeah. just, I didn't know enough about being a dad back then. That team was so, ra- you know, laser focused and knew, like, they were going to the racetrack, and like you said, like, they, they wouldn't allow themselves to be entertained by anything. There was nothing but wow. what we had to do, and we were on top for a lot of that period, and, and you know, nobody wanted to be the one to let that slip, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty astute observation for you being that you were a kid, and you could tell. They were, I was so intimidated by Dad, I mean, obviously by Dad, but by them, the team, him, the whole group huh. together, the way they worked and, and the way they... And we had to keep that alive. I mean, we had to, the other people were, the other teams, some of them were, Solid. they didn't know what was going to happen next. And the more we could keep them on their heels like that, it was bullshit, but the more we could keep them was thinking that, some of it. <laughs> yeah. Was it an act? We did anything we could to, to enhance that that persona like i said the the you know you don't want to mess with those guys or yeah you know wow. like you can't crack them or there's nothing you can do to rattle them you might not even start you know uh daryl would put things on the in the press and you know make articles mm-hmm. and saying things about dale hell he'd cut the thing out and put it on the toolbox in front of everybody you know it was, really it was, we weren't ashamed of any of it and and <laughs> you just we had to stay in their face all the time and i think that that sort of backfired sometimes on our wives and families and kids and they saw that side too and like it it probably wasn't the best you know it wouldn't have killed me to be nicer to Dale or let him you know let him hang out more or tell his dad look stop taking him off all the time let him hang out for a day or something it wouldn't hurt anything but like I said we had this uh shell Mm -hmm. that was us and we had to make it as bad as we could I guess I don't know no it was that was the way it was and it was it was impressive um, it was the. Uh, so in other words, we were kids. <laughs> they let we me. We weren't hang. as nice to the kids as we should have been. Let, you know, they I don't think. You know, when I was around, I would. I tried. I knew better than to get in the way. I mean, you yeah. was gonna get lit up if you got in the way. Um, but they let me hang around. They let me. They let me. You know, hang in the pits, and they didn't run me out like a lot of kids in that time of day. You said when you were leaving. Uh, deciding to leave RCR that you weren't going to another job, didn't want another job, but you did crew chief in an Xfinity series in 1996. How did that, how did you get kind of lured back or what was the decision to, to come back and do you, you crew chief for David Green for one year, two wins, second in points? More arm twisting. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a shop uh, actually back there behind Childress's complex. I, I was hanging bodies. I was Still just dabbling in it, but no direction. You know, I, I still I was racing part time in the Arca stuff, and the people with Caterpillar and uh, Buzz McCall that owned that race team got with me, and again said, "Look, you're t- you're too big of an asset to be sitting here. Let's we want to use you. You know, let's do something. Let's get your 
mind going again. Let's get your experience into this. And we need somebody that we can, like, say, we know what we're doing. Even though we're a new team, here's this guy and here's, you know, you're going to be an asset for sure. They're paying me a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> there's that too. And, and you know, I was just kind of making what I could on the side and racing wasn't paying anything. I mean, it was covering my expenses about all. But So, yeah, I, I tried that for a while. I was a consultant. And uh, Bobby Allison told me what a consultant is. He said, that's a guy that borrows your watch and then tells you what time it is. <laughs> it's kind of like I figured. That's funny. And that's really all I put on my responsibility. I mean, it didn't seem to me, I did it for a while, but it, it didn't seem like I was creating anything or in charge of anything really or, or I was helping and yeah. I ain't a great helper <laughs> so, so so were you a crew chief or not I wasn't the crew chief he's, I, listed, I, I he's was listed online as, in racing references as the crew chief on that car for that year so I didn't know but you're, you're saying you were not in my definition of it Cor- I don't think so correct me if I'm wrong I, I don't think you're the kind of guy that appreciates titles and it almost seems like you've been the, the crew chief title, I mean, you never saw yourself as a crew chief. Am I wrong? Uh, probably not in the traditional sense. I mean, I, I try to change what that was. Back in the early days of the, whatever mechanic, whoever was the crew chief was probably just the guy that had been there the longest or maybe even the only guy like I was. But everybody did all the work on the cars from one end to the other. Everybody would, would weld, would hang bodies, would do even drive the truck. And, and whatever had to be done, everybody did some of it. Um, so I guess just the guy with the most of that jack-of-all-trade experience could be the crew chief. Right. Um, and as we started building the cars, I mean, I was doing the design stuff, and, and everything was in my head pretty much. Um, so I, I had my fingers on all of it. So then when I go to another big team and I'm just sort of advising all those guys that have their fingers on different things, just how, how they interacted like one department to the other, stuff like that, I was sort of helping – sort of be a liaison, but I wasn't the guy doing it all. So for me, it wasn't the same feeling as being a crew chief was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. What's left, what, what is left in your life uh, of your racing past? Trophies, any mementos, um, anything in the garage, race cars? I got n- no cars. I got attic full of trophies and a lot of pictures, and I brought a couple of them Did to you? maybe embarrass you and your <laughs> sister with, but uh, some mementos, a lot of trophies, a lot yeah. of plaques and things. Most of the stuff doesn't mean all that much to everybody, but I mean, I, it makes me when I go look at some of that things. After talking to you the other night, I started I dug out some pictures and stuff just to try to kind of get my mind in the era again, and and how hard it was, and how much stuff we did, and what we pulled off. My own driving stuff was impossible, and back in the early '80s, like you were talking about earlier, with how we built the team, was pretty impossible too, and just how lucky we were for the opportunities and how lucky we got was got away with stuff and some stuff we didn't get away with, but just some of the things we pulled off is what you can remind yourself of when you look at different things and somebody else looks at it and it's just a plaque, you know, but yeah. the day that went with it is, is the stuck story. in your mind. Yeah. So when I was thinking about uh, doing this interview with you, I started looking around on uh, social media and sort of brushing up on my history as well to be ready. And I learned something about you that I did not know, and that was that you have been playing poker professionally. <laughs> and when I asked you about that on the phone, you said, well, I got to keep my creative, you know, it's it, my creative mind wants, needs a... Needs competitive. A, competitive mind needs something to do. So when did that start? And, I mean, have you always played poker? Or have you always been interested in that? 
around the racetrack whenever it would rain out in the day and there wasn't anything to do, we'd some guys we'd sit in a truck and goof around playing poker. And I never really took it seriously till maybe about 2010. A, a buddy of mine had been to some of these bigger tournaments and sort of elbowed me into coming with him. And, and so it's, it's just like the, the racing. Whenever If you want to go to Daytona or Talladega and learn how to draft, you can't prepare. You can't learn that anywhere else. Right. You want to go to Talladega and try to learn how to draft, the only way to do that is go there and try to learn it. It's you got to jump in. So I kind of looked at poker like that, and he's, you know, at the professional level, I'm I'm no pro. <laughs> My record probably shows that. Uh, but to go play in that that tall of grass, or to you know, to be at that level, is fun for me. I mean, I kind of went from a kid that knows nothing right into the Cup Series without any dirt track or anything in between. I didn't know what I was doing. So completely kind of cold turkey. It was the same kind of feeling for me that I hadn't been able to get that in a while. Uh, with racing or with anything else, really. Uh, but just to try to jump in there right with the big boys, even though you're not going to do that great, and I haven't, <laughs> but uh, to to get there and do it, you know, a lot of other people can't say that. And, and it, it was kind of bringing some of that feeling back for me as far as so you need an competition goes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're always looking for an outlet to put that con- I'm running out of things, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've raised up I, two batches of kids now. i got some young kids again. I, uh, I had been married twice and... So I'm kind of doing some stuff over that I've already done, and that's that's a lot of fun. But as far as new things and like like you say, jumping in with the big boys and trying something else, I'm running out of ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what is your future look like? What, are you going to continue playing poker? I'm hoping I can stumble into something just like I always did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I ask you something, Kurt? I I started this interview before I met you today. I was already pissed off about the Hall of Fame thing. <laughs> Uh, and you coming off the nomination list this year. And we had a conversation earlier about just Hall of Fame in general and that, and that maybe, like, the, you know, the, the disagreement or the, the, the debate, if you call it that, between uh, Kyle Busch's 200 NASCAR wins and how people are trying to compare it or, or, you know, to Richard Petty. And I made the point that there's just not a whole lot of people around right now that can, that can attest to, you know, the old days. So I start off this interview – already pissed off now that i've heard your story i'm even more pissed off right <laughs> am i wrong it, 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 about I what in particular am i there's not an advocate no, didn't make it you. in the first year there's no no that, no 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 that, that, there's not as many people seeming to be advocates of your career with uh, what i'm hearing is a lot of success stories and, and it's because half of them are friend. dead yeah. well that's my point <laughs> is it so like do i need to stop being offended about it or do is there something that should be done the way i look at it is Clint Eastwood says, deserve's got nothing to do with it, boy. You know, the the list of names, if you look in the record books for, you know, crew chief stuff mostly, my name's in there next to Smokey Eunuch and Junior Johnson. And, I mean, it's all these people that were heroes to me or were like, you know, just some bigger-than-life people. Racing was this whole dimension that you never thought – a kid from Philadelphia is going to even be ever be involved in, let alone do well. And here I am, like next to all the big guys. My name's there already. You know, the Hall of Fame would just kind of sort of a caps it off. And I, it was really a great feeling to be included on that list last year. And, and you look at the people that are there, and like, holy smokes, how could I be not only on the list, but like way up at the list in, in, in some categories? And and it's that's a super honor already you know whether somebody officially recognizes it or not ever 
that's up to them. <laughs> I already kind of know what I had to do to get there and, and how lucky I am to, to just be on that list. Um, and it'll happen sooner or later. They'll, they'll be running out of people <laughs> before long. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, man. It'll happen. And there's only a couple guys that have won more championships than you have. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, in, you're one of the best crew chiefs that sport's ever seen. And uh, I was I was equally disappointed when I didn't see your name on the list this year. And I think a lot of people have voiced their opinions about that as well. So, uh, But it will happen one day, and I'll be there to watch you uh, be nominated, and it'll be an honor and a pleasure. Uh, appreciate you coming here today. I know it was a little bit out of your way. No, man, it was fun. He got and his kids to school, though. He that did was get the his important kids part to school. of that. Yeah, sorry. Could have been no, here earlier, I guess. No, no, we would have wanted you to do nothing different. You got to get your kids <laughs> yeah. to school before you don't, don't let us be the reason they didn't get to school. <laughs> I have to, to sit down and talk to you is uh, something I've wanted to do for a really, really long time. Well, same here. And, and schedules and things, it's hard. It is. And the mist, you're in the mystery no more. Thank you, Kurt. All right, man. Appreciate Thanks. it. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you are wearing right now, Mike. I heard that. Yeah, Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics, which I just said. <laughs> there's premium. I think there's premium fabrics. I think fabrics. there's premium fabrics in this. <laughs> Not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. If you're going to work out, going to work, going out on a date, just whatever, man, you just wear these things anywhere. In, in other words, there's no bad time there's to no... wear underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm wearing my Mac Weldon's again right now, Mike. Good to know. I am. I've had these for, uh, I don't know, a couple months now. They've been through a few washes. And one of the things that... <laughs> That I appreciate about them is they haven't changed. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know how some, oh, yeah. you know, especially the most, when you get real comfortable underwear, typically it kind of changes a little bit in size. That's right. And so uh, I'm happy to say that these are holding up well over a few washes, and uh, it's easy to order these. That's that website, man. That yeah. website is pretty easy to navigate. So it's easy to order, and it's comfy. And uh, what activities are we doing in our Mac Wells? Everything. Everything I do today, I'm going to have these on. <laughs> you're not going to switch them out? <laughs> Good to know. You I'm know. not. So if you play a sport, you're not going to go to another one if you're sitting well, in a chair. if I get, you know, I don't know. If I did get a little sweaty or go do something like that, I might try to put on another pair of Mack Weldons. Yeah, but you don't plan to work that hard today, do no, you? No, I don't. All I'm right, not going to do it. All today, right. uh, uh, Monday's take aisle at a lunch day, so no, not much going on after the podcast. There's a special offer for listeners for the Dale Jr. Download. 20% off your first order if you visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code Dale Jr. D-A-L-E-J-R, no space, at the checkout. That's promo code Dale Jr. So Kyle Bush won 200 finally. God, took him forever. Yeah, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Pick up the pace next time, would you? And you, you mentioned it last <laughs> week, Mike, how disappointed, like when he gets out and does his interview on the front straightaway at Phoenix – he was talking about how he lost the races before. That's the first thing on his mind. It's the first thing on his mind when he wins this weekend on the radio to his crew is, man, if we had not lost those other races at Phoenix and so forth in Vegas, we'd have I don't know how many races in a row. I think it says to me, I always wondered, like, why is this guy such a poor loser? How come he, he takes losing so badly that it makes you cringe? Yeah. And that's, that kind of answers that question right there because he is sitting here winning 200 races – this milestone that he's been looking forward to, they got the flag, they got the rolling out the big production after the race, celebrating this moment. They've been they've had they've carried this from racetrack to racetrack to racetrack. 
And all he can think about is the races that he's just lost right. over the last couple of weeks. Right. So that just, I mean, not to cut Kyle too much of a break, but that tells you just how determined he is in, in winning and how much that he detests not winning. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that I've ever known a race car driver that was like that. Well, the greats, and I'm talking about in athletics, I mean, like Michael Jordan and the ones that are known for their wins, the losses seem to stick in their craw yeah. a little bit more than the wins do. Yeah. They can't get over it. They can't, you know. The I bet that other drivers were like, maybe Dad and, and, and other drivers were that way. They just weren't as open in discussing it. Plus, they didn't have a microphone in their face all the time. They didn't have social media and things like that to go to. You know, it just makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, I guess, with the whole thing, knowing just how much that means to him. It really does mean a lot to him. So congratulations to Kyle. There's been, you know, the funny thing, there's been a, it ain't a debate because it seems so one-sided, but there's been a lot of conversation on, on social media. And I try not to take too much stock in Twitter because it's very small tip of the iceberg as far as, you know, the, the public in general. But it's a great place to go to complain. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, it, you know, it, it's not like Richard too. 200 wins. Well, I don't know that there is anybody saying it is. I haven't seen exactly. one person yes. say, Thank you. this is just like Richards. I, there's just this whole demographic or, or large group of people saying, defending that it's, you know, that, you know, defending this thing that's not happening. Nobody has said, this is just like Richards 200. I haven't seen it. Have you? I haven't. I have not seen that. Although I did see the column that started trying to. I, I don't want to say take away from Richard's two hundred, which boy felt, I, felt like an aggressive approach to a hot take. Yeah. But and I don't even know if you intend to get to that uh, yeah. part of the conversation. But anyways, no, I have not seen people trying to compare the two. If anything, I've seen people trying to reanalyze Richard's two hundred. Yes. So that's the thing. All right. We're, nobody has said that I can. That, you know that I know of no, that matters. That, nobody that matters. <laughs> I wouldn't want. <laughs> nobody has said that they're the same. I don't know why everybody feels this uh, defensive about it and and protecting, uh, you know, the difference between the two or or you know debating the difference between the two. Um, Richards is two hundred cup wins. Kyle is a mixture of wins in different series. Still a very incredible feat. Um, the guy has just won a ton of races, and uh, I'll be honest, anybody that ever, if anybody that, you know, did that, they would celebrate it. You I think do. that people are going to, you know, if anybody else out there debating this or thinking this isn't a big deal, if this happened to you, your ass is going to be waving a flag. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I would too. I would be like, hell yeah, man, props to me. Yeah. I, I put a lot into this, and 200 wins across all three series, I'm proud of it. So, good job for, for Kyle Busch. And he's, what, 33 years old. He's got a lot more racing left. It'd be interesting to follow and see what else he does. But um, you touched on it, Mike. There's a column on, on, on uh, Jeff Gluck, I think, uh, had a guest column on his site about um, sort of picking through Richard's wins and sort of and, and analyzing which ones maybe weren't legitimate or I don't know if that's the right word. That's I, not the right word, no. Yeah, they're, they're all legitimate. He's, <laughs> he's basically saying that they were pre-modern era. Right. It's in that original era. And so if you eliminated, eliminated those from the equation that, you know, those numbers between Kyle and Richard look a lot more similar. But yeah. the, but, but 
but there, I take a bit of an exception to what, to, to that even approach to, to Richard's two hundred. Yeah, because I don't think anybody is, I don't think anybody is disagreeing that there's two different errors. Nobody actually is confused over the fact that Richard's two hundreds came during a time when there were probably fewer cars and there was also midweek races. I don't know anybody that confuses that. Yeah. Right. So don't go eliminate the, Richard's wins. They were still wins. You know that he was the benefit of a of racing in a time when there was the pre-modern era and the modern era, yeah. right? Or whatever you call the first era. Um, and that's that. Yeah, the, the thing I took exception, I, I agreed with the guy a lot of, on a lot of his points, but then here's where I split. He says, if I were at NASCAR, I would create a statistic called era-adjusted career wins. That would help fans better compare past drivers with a bit more realism. J- that's where you lost me. You don't need to go creating asterisks and stuff like that yep. to go modify history. Don't go modify history. And NASCAR kind of has already done that by making a modern era. What else is that than just saying that the 1972 on is a modern era? I don't think that that's a conflated issue. So um, I, I, I don't know. I think you took defense to it. Did you not? Or you got a little defensive about it based off of people pecking at Richard Petty's 200 wins. Yeah, of course. I think that the, that's sacred and you just don't go there. Richard Petty has hung his hat on 200. It's as synonymous with him as his number and his sponsor, uh, STP and 43. That, I was there that day when he won that race, and I remember that, you know, that celebration and that landmark, you know, milestone that he had had uh, accomplished. And I just, I think it's crazy to even discuss whether that's a realistic number or not or whether some wins maybe weren't important or justified right and so we weren't there we can't go back and try to legitimize history if we weren't there to experience it you can't i don't want to hear or read somebody saying well it was against such and such competition and and it was against gas station owners and and factory fords and chevrolets right off the parking lot you weren't there right i wasn't there how do you really know how tough the competition was that day or what Richard Petty went through to get there, to go through the process of getting into that race and competing in that race? And just because of the length, you know, there's, there was conversation about the lengths of the races being short, being on dirt tracks and, and, and the field being small. I mean, you, I just, it, it, just, it just blows my mind that we would take something so sacred and try to especially in the face of Richard Petty. I right. mean, he is at the track, involved in the sport. He's there every week. It's disgusting. It's, it's insulting. Yeah. And, to, and to what end? Where does it end if we, if we are now going to do asterisks on things? Think about this. If you're okay with doing that on Richard Petty, in 100 years, this, the very, then you're okay with us doing that to Kyle Busch. And in, in whatever amount of wins he ends up with. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, well, Kyle Busch, you know, in 100 years, NASCAR cars have wings on it. And uh, he, Kyle Busch didn't have wings on his car. So you can't, you got to actually X out some of these things. Um, you know, they, that's when they, that's that day when they, those are those days when they ran gasoline in their car. Kyle Busch ran gasoline in his car. Now we run it on solar power NASCAR. I mean, in 100 years, yeah. you're going to be able to scrutinize everything. Are you going to take away Kyle Busch's wins? No. Don't take away Richards. Don't take away Kyle's. There's incredible feats. Yeah. I mean, it, there was it, there's Xfinity races where there were 17 to 20 cup drivers in the field, and then there's Xfinity, Xfinity races 
where there's not any cup drivers in the field, you don't look at those two races as any different. No matter, you know, those when you win the, either one, they go in the stat book and it counts. There was and, a start and a finish, and, it, and, and somebody had to win it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's up? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I was listening to both of you. I think your sacred part of it hits the nail right on the damn head, and I haven't heard anybody say it like that. The asterisk point, not having an asterisk, is the absolute truth, and it got me thinking. My buddy Bloomer texted me, and I just pulled it up, and uh, he, he's a funny cat, and he said, uh, tonight I'm going back in time. In my uh, DeLorean, that's in my driveway. I'm gonna it I'm gonna invent the Bush series in 1959 and the Truck series as well. I'm gonna change the course of history in Level Cross, where the Petty Shop is, so that Richard will race Cup, Bush, and Trucks. When I get back from uh, to 2019, he'll have 550 wins. <laughs> that's why you don't put an asterisk right. next to that bit of history because right. it is that it's history, it's sacred. Yeah, I just I, I just get a little worried that it's just like the Hall of Fame, like. You know, there's it's it's challenging sometimes because there's so many guys that belong in that Hall of Fame, and there's not a lot of people that are around today that were that were experiencing their career and their impact on the sport. And as we get further, this is just something I'm concerned with with the history of the sport as a whole. As we get further removed from it, mm -hmm. do we forget just how important these guys were? And just how difficult it was for them and how challenging times were for them, how, how hard it was to trudge through those particular decades in the sport. And I feel like that, you know, this is touching on that a little bit. It's not appreciating exactly how challenging that might have been. And because uh, none of, you know, like I say, none of us were there. We got to always try to appreciate the history of the sport and the guys that created, uh, created the sport. Yeah. You know, and, and damn, man. I mean, Richard is <laughs> – you know he's heard this. Yeah. You know, and, and it's got to annoy the hell out of Kyle and everyone else involved that's that's celebrated Richard for all these years. And I, I know that the the article and, and the whole point wasn't to insult King, you know, the king. It's it, right. That's true. It wasn't. But it, it, it could easily, if the conversation were to expand, and if people start, I mean, if we have this conversation out there, for it to get taken seriously is what I'm a little worried about. You know, the, the thought just occurred to me. It's like, this is not to disparage our current media, certainly not to disparage Jeff Gluck or the fellow that wrote that column. But, you know, I wonder if we're sort of experiencing a little bit of the after effects of the way the media and the coverage of the sport has changed so much. And that a lot of those old timers and those historian type journalists are no longer in the media center. Yeah. You know, your Rick Menners, your Jim Pedleys, um, you know, obviously a lot of these guys that not only know the history of the sport, but we're friends with a lot of the people that we're talking about and maybe some of the people. Yeah. And now that they're not in the media center, not they're not covering our sport, like um, maybe we're feeling a little bit more of the after effects and not having those old school guys. Um, and again, that's not to disparage the current media. They do a fantastic job. But, you know, having those wily old veterans matter, especially in the NASCAR Hall votes, especially yep. in, in, you know, we don't have a whole lot of them anymore. They, you know, they lost their jobs. Um, a good many of them did. And not knocking, you know, Kyle, because that accomplishment is sick. But, you know, you look at uh, what Mike Joy said, you know, it was kind of a cool line where he's like, he may not be the best of all time, but he's the best of his time. But I was listening to that, and the first thing I thought was, like, Jimmy Johnson sitting there going, like, hey, I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still here. Jimmy has all those wins and championships. Seven championships, more more wins in those, you know, that the first 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that then Kyle has had in, in Cup, so 
you know, it's interesting. It is. It is. I mean, Kyle is an amazing driver, no doubt about it. Um, God, just I, I, I feel like that we could have done all this without ever dragging the king into it. Um, right. It's and, true. And just celebrate what's happening, man. Um, the final round of qualifying. So it's kind of you know it's been a few days, and and a lot of times we don't we we once the information or news gets a little dated, we sort of move on. But the cars, nobody you know everybody that watched all that the cars in the final round didn't get to the finish line in time to be able to make a lap, and so nobody recorded a time. And then Austin Dillon won the pole by default because he had the quicker time in round two of the three rounds. So NASCAR is going to have to make a change to qualifying to, you know, sort of make it entertaining and get everybody out there on the racetrack. Um, I just kind of think that it'd be fun to talk about what everybody's opinion about what they should do is. We know what happened. We know, it, you know, there needs to be a change made. We know that they're probably going to be making some sort of a change. It, it, it will be interesting to see how creative they get with that. They do not apparently want to go back to single car qualifying, uh, which was NASCAR's uh, format for, for years and years. Um, so what... Does anybody have really an idea? Mike, yeah. go ahead. Heat races. Heat races. Mike, why do you think heat races is going to work? It's Well, it checks the box. One, <laughs> it's uh, to me, I feel like it's a good way to set the field. I mean, I think that that's what a lot of racing series do. And two, you don't deprive NASCAR of its show. Yeah. And I think that that's an important point and why they don't want to go back to single car qualifying. And even though I know that that's a, a very pure and the purest part of me would like to see single car qualifying – I get their point. It's not as entertaining, and they, they have to make shows, and um, I think that heat races would be a good way. And I, listen, go ahead, shoot holes through it. People that sure. are the, not, you know, shoot holes through it. There are things that would have to be worked out. You're going to have crashes. You're going to have sponsors. You're going to have tell it. I get it. But at the end of the day, when you peel back all the layers, it's a show, and it sets your field. And that's really what we're trying to do, right? Trying to set the field for the pro- – for the A main, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're also um, trying to create entertainment, and it is an entertainment business. All right, your thoughts? What is your idea? Uh, well, you know, I like. I don't hate that idea of running heat races. As a, as um, I'm thinking about from my perspective of being in the booth as a broadcaster, that would be really entertaining to to determine the starting grid by uh, a couple heat races. Honestly, man, I mean, I, 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 I unpopular opinion here i'd go back to single car qualifying i really would i would uh i would go back to single car qualifying and leave it in the hands of the of the of the broadcast to help people understand how entertaining that can be um we've seen some impressive if you go back and look in the history of the sport we've seen some very awesome uh, moments in qualifying in single car qualifying some you know when records get broken or a car uh, you know goes out there and dominates uh, runs an incredible lap he's the focus is that driver in that moment whereas in group qualifying you know it's it's a it, you juggle all the cars that are on the racetrack as a you know when you're trying to broadcast what's happening in single car or in group group qualifying, you're sort of juggling as you're watching cars go out on the track. You're like, well, we need to show this guy. Okay, this guy's got to pop this guy on the screen. He's got a good lap going. We're gonna right. and and a lot of times you never see the you hardly see the entire lap. You just right. kind of catch this. Okay, here's the car coming across the finish line. Great lap. He's on the pole. Um, in single car qualifying, the focus is on that driver during his entire run, and it's a it it it's a it adds a sense of pressure and and. I was never more nervous 
in <laughs> in my in my driving career than for qualifying. Wow, that's a point. All right. Wow. Uh, I hated how on the spot you were, and so like oh, wow, man, wow. you're you're next in line. Yeah. There's a guy out on the track. He's running. When he goes by, they're gonna send you. All eyes are on you. Oh my guy. What if I screw up? My team's depending on me, and I'm the only guy on track. Everybody's watching, and so you're just vulnerable. And I never was that. I never felt those type of nerves when the race was coming around because it's a long race. You know, it's going to play out. We're gonna we're gonna f- find our groove and and work into it. Qualifying is, boy, it's hot lap. Go out there and run as hard as you can in that moment. When we went to group qualifying, I lost a lot of that nervousness and 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 worry and concern because i wasn't the only guy on the track and if i screwed up i was kind of lost in the fog you know there's so much happening that it wasn't quite as vulnerable and it wasn't quite as intense and the nerves weren't quite the pressure wasn't quite as severe so for me i'm more entertained i guess by single car qualifying yes it takes longer it takes more of the it takes more time in the day to do it which is a you know a cha- a new a different a, a totally different challenge for the for the sport to try to find ways to fit that into the schedule as we try to squeeze the schedule and make it a little simpler. But for me, I, I would prefer single car qualifying. Dillner, I know you got an opinion. Yeah, um, to me, I look at it twofold. Uh, a, <laughs> it's the point of view from the fan, right? And you know, so that's why the heat races would work. But I also look at it, you know, from a fan, it looks like a practice. Okay, it just viscerally appeals. No, no, no. The the, the group qualifying we currently have looks like a practice. From the TV side, the few times I'd be at home, maybe not at the track, I loved watching the uh, throttle and the the tracking of where that driver was compared to the pole speed. And is he in the yellow? Is he in the green? Um, And the other thing that I always think of is, is I always think about the little guy. Okay, you got Jimmy Means' team out there, or Jeremy Clements, or, you know, this guy or that guy in, say, the Xfinity series. Sometimes they may not be shown because of it's nothing that TV is doing wrong in this new format. Whereas when they had their single lap or their two laps to do it, they had their time on TV. Mm. And there's a value to that for the, those little guys. Yeah, I think with technology today, uh, for the networks, we, can, we, we are getting to where we have the technology to put a ghost car on the screen so you can see, um, you know, not you know we used to just yeah. be able to have like a bar or some sort of a green which I like a too. number yeah. yeah where you can you know as technology gets better that single car qualifying can become more entertaining yep. for a, for the casual fan uh, to to be able to see if he's gaining or or out you know beating the car that's on the pole we'll see I mean that, that there won't be any changes going into Martinsville the next race where that will probably have an effect is at Texas where drafting will be important for qualifying so I believe the change will be announced soon but it won't take an effect until we go to texas in a couple weeks uh this weekend adam limpke with jr motorsports we're going to talk about a little grassroots racing adam's a new driver for us in junior at junior motorsports in the late model stock series and he won his uh first start his first official start we'll say at hickory motor speedway this weekend congratulations to adam and josh barry and that whole team josh did not run uh josh takes a few of those weekends off to focus on adam uh the young driver and our Guy, we're trying to school up. Josh has become not only our you know premier late model driver and win, winning a ton of races, but also a bit of a, a teacher and and uh, someone to mold these younger drivers that we're bringing in into what we want 
out of them as far as race car drivers goes. Matthew, you went to Myrtle Beach Speedway. What uh, what all did you see there? Man, I saw the uh, Wheel of Modified Tour kickoff at season. Great short track, eats up tires like it's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever craziest grit sandpaper there is, man. <laughs> and uh, had a good time. Drove back at night. Uh, was falling asleep behind the wheel. What'd you do down there? Did you work? I camera? worked. Yeah, worked I worked a little, a little camera for just one day kind of side deal. And on the way back, I was falling asleep kind of doing the bob and weave. And I looked, and I'm like 12 miles outside of the rock. Yeah. So I decided, let's pull into Rockingham. That's going to be my rest area. So I, <laughs> I slept in. I tuck, cranked the seat back, reclined it. Caught some Z's, woke up, watched the sunrise over oh, no, Rockingham no. Speedway. Where, where exactly did you park your car? I parked what it was literally the outside the windshield. The trajectory of my parking spot was just so I could see the grandstands, the Rockingham Speedway sign, and the big rock. <laughs> he positioned his car exactly. He, this man's ate up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I, then I put on, on Facebook that I was at a motor inn, and my mother took it literally and was like, I thought you stayed at a hotel room. I'm like, Mom, it was a joke. That's funny. Wow. So, Rockingham still looks good. You know, we were just talking about the place a week or so I couldn't ago. get in. You like, there used in. to be some holes and stuff where you could get in and all that <laughs> stuff. They got that pl- place locked down. Like, I took a walk, and I was like an ice cube when I got yeah. back to my car. So, you were trying to sneak. You were going to get in as far as you could go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. That seems smart. That, that needs to be an, uh, uh, a segment next week, sneaking into racetracks. Because I know that a few of us here are, are guilty. Oh, oh yeah. I, I feel well, I know one of us is me so, or that has not done it. So yeah. that means that leaves you and Matthew. You snuck into some tracks? Oh yeah. I, you don't have to say which ones, but how recently? Uh 1998. Okay, so it's oh, been okay. a while. So it's been a while. Uh, you know, Statue of limitations like passed. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> All right. We're talking yeah. talking about some uh, grassroots short track racing. Carson uh Elledge, she uh did not race. She was scheduled to race uh, out west this weekend but did not compete. Um Junior Motorsports had a reasonable day at Fontana. They took a little gamble on strategy there at the end of the race and stayed out trying to hope to get a late caution and have one extra set of tires to be able to dominate the race at the end, but uh, didn't get that caution. Had some good speed. Michael Annette had another great weekend, very fast. Noah Gregson had had a very competitive weekend, upswing for him. Another thing I saw on social media before we wrap up this segment, Eric Church did a quick tribute on Dad during a recent concert. That's been all over my social media. That's cool. Everybody's been like, hey, Junior, see this. Yeah, I mean those kind of those things are always nice to see. And the, it was not as much as that Eric Church did it, but the reaction that that number three and the, the name Dale Earnhardt still gets. Yeah, hell yeah. Some two decades later, that's the same. Makes you feel is great. Something else. It is that it. The people are still moved to when they see that number or when they hear that name. That is something else. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was special. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I. I uh, I feel the same way about Richard and his 200 wins. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to Ask Junior. Whatever the lowest type of memory storage is on it. And I we're live. So I backup so phones. Stuff. I thought you had ordered a new one. No, 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 no. So that's just a, I got some. You, I just need something. I don't even care what version it is as long as it's got more storage than this. Yeah, yeah. All I can't even are, get my email. I got all mine. All mine are the big storage. We're live. We're live. Oh, hey, guys. everybody. All right. Hey, sorry. We were talking about cell phones. Mike <laughs> Mike uh, got a new phone. Well, he's got a temporary phone because he uh, his other phone fell out of his pocket, and he ran over with his tractor. <laughs> got to be careful when you're on a tractor. This is the Ask, Ask Junior Live segment on YouTube uh, at Dirty Mo Media. Presented uh, by Nationwide. Presented by Nationwide. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Well, let's get right to it. 
All right, our first question coming in from uh, Megan Nielsen wants to know, is there a current NASCAR driver or an up-and-comer that reminds you of your younger self, either off the track or on? You know, that's... No, I mean, that's weird. Like, for me to sit there and go, man, that guy reminds me of me. I I just can't... I don't don't have that happen to me. What do you think about that? I'm thinking... uh, Now, I don't think it's as... I can see how it's weird for you. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad question. Who in this room reminds you of yourself, Mike? Uh, no, no, no. I get it. No, I, I get your point. <laughs> None of y'all do. Uh, but I could take a stab at it. I could take okay, a stab. Okay, yeah, at yeah. It. By all means, someone else take a stab at yes. this. Blaney. Okay, Ryan Blaney. Oh. I mean, I, again. How so? I, how so? Uh, single as hell. <laughs> You know, no prospect, you know, like, you know, no, no prospects of that changing anytime soon. That was the way you were. I don't think he has as much of that rebellious kind of thing you had going on. I mean, he ain't wearing bandanas. He ain't bleaching his hair blonde. He does grow it long. But he does do other things. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, from a style, a driving style standpoint, I wouldn't be able to really uh, assign a similarity to yeah. it. Yeah. I have a hard time comparing styles of drivers because I look into it so a driver's style for me is a perfect reflection of their personality and no two drivers are the same in personality in my opinion I mean everybody is different and their choices and decisions on the racetrack are their own and I don't I never really see somebody who reminds me of any other driver you know I don't see like Jimmy Johnson I don't know who the hell to compare him to it depends on the day and the race and or or Kyle Busch or or any or or Harvick, I, I don't really see comparisons. They're all their individual self and unique in their own way, and and that's been tough for me for a long time. So so to compare myself to someone else be, be hard, hard for me to do. Uh, Matt wants to know how is that Class D uh, license on the dirt yeah. progressing? <laughs> well, I've had uh, I've had I've had my hands full, so I ain't had a chance to race anymore when I racing over the last couple of weeks. But I did get my D. So you start as a rookie, Mike, and then okay. you race like three or four or five races. You try not to wreck, and you have a safety rating that gets higher as you as you wreck less. And because um, you can win races, and if you're crashing a lot and getting a lot of hitting the wall, even or other competitor other cars, your safety rating will not go up. So the only way to graduate is to run a certain amount of races and bring that safety rating up. So I got a D license which is the next level and then i'll go to c eventually if i race enough uh what i'm driving now i think is a crate late model mm, and okay. a fixed setup so i don't have to worry about the setup it's all done for me and i just jump in there anytime i want and just go racing so uh but i've been real busy and hadn't had a chance to get on there i, I try to dedicate at least two hours a week uh to to playing video games of some sort that's impressive that you can get that i try man i try me and amy over the last month started to try to try to create a calendar where you know this this is what we're going to do this day or we're going to try it's not the bible it's just an an, you know encouraging uh let's take out to lunch every monday let's have date night every tuesday stuff like that it's good stuff yeah droids 13 wants to know would you consider doing a charity race where all eligible earnharts would race (laughs) yeah (laughs) that'd be fun i think that would be fun we'd have to do it like a we would have to do it at a go-kart track or something i mean that would be the only way to really do it and it'd be fun and 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 not, you know, cost a ton of money. Denny Hamlin has a showdown. I think it's happening again this year. No, it's not. I thought it was because it's on our schedule. Yeah, I, th- I think I thought it was canceled. It's canceled? Well, anyways, Denny Hamlin has had this showdown uh, that he puts on, which is an incredible event, uh, late model cars and, and 
but it seems uh, it's a big undertaking. And so uh, that'd be tough for us to do, but. Can I do a quick roll call and try to figure out who are all the eligible Earnhardt? So it'd be me, Kerry Kelly, Jeffrey. Bobby Dale? Bobby, sure. Bobby Dale yeah, can I run. Mean, yeah. Uh, Taylor would probably come come out and race. She drove Dad's car at uh, Goodwill. Um, can, we bring, can we bring Aunt Kathy back? Yeah, Aunt, yeah. Kathy, <laughs> she raced, uh, Aunt ma- Kathy raced a lot in the 70s. Mamaw used to run the powder puffs. That was Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mamaw. No. She Kathy, did. Kathy? She told us the story. Oh, really? Did she? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Ralph put you her in a car. New. Ralph put her in a car with no practice. No practice. She was so mad at him, and mm. she wrecked it. Oh. oh, yeah, that's a great story. Okay, we need to hear that one. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Yeah. But there would be enough. But, I mean, you you have more people in the race. We could have my Uncle Danny. We'll okay. fill, it, we'll fill it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the old Richard Petty fields from back in the pre-modern era. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some people might have, you know, some problems with the field size, but it'd still have a good time. It'd count as a win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aaron Vassar has a non-racing question He wants to know What pointers do you have for being a first-time dad For somebody who's about to be a dad Oh, good lord Well, there's a lot uh, you know, the, the, But I'll say this No matter what I say Or anyone else tells you you'll, it, it's, Nothing's going to prepare you for that, for that whole experience You know, everybody always told me Get a lot of rest but, And that's great advice So when when the baby goes to sleep and takes naps during the day, a lot of times you don't you don't want to take a nap. You want to do whatever you're you're you finally got your hands free. The baby's down. You want to you want to go do something or do stuff. Uh, try your best to try to go to sleep, uh, take naps, and because um, you're not going to get a lot of sleep at night. I don't I don't have advice that I think could help anybody because all the advice that I heard did not really work for me or sink in it wasn't bad advice you gotta live it yourself you gotta live it yeah here's here's one give your wife opportunities to pull away from being a mother of course and 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 to be honest with you like really try to go at lengths to give her time to do that and she's not gonna want to she's not gonna want to and that's fine don't don't like kick her out the door and say see you in two hours but find ways to give your wife uh and and especially a new mother opportunities to just not be responsible for a living human being right there all yeah. the time because that can be taxing. So, sure. yeah, so for in the middle of the night, get up, take care of the baby so on some nights when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night. Get the baby up in the morning some mornings. Change diapers during the day. Make bottles. Wash bottles. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, do those things that sh- you see her doing uh, and try to give her a little bit of a break because she wor- she's working hard. Yeah. Yep. Working way harder than you are. Um, so trying to trying to do some of the heavy lifting around there is helpful. Hey, just to clarify for anybody who's listening to this live, uh, Speed51.com report, I just pulled it up. Denny Hamlin Short Track Showdown will not be held in 2019, but the foundation, Denny Hamlin Foundation, saying they're trying to bring back the event yeah. at a future date. I saw it on our schedule earlier uh, this year, but didn't know it was canceled. All right, Carolina is 24, wants to know, would you be brave enough to have Ken Schrader on your show? Yeah, of course. <laughs> we haven't even thought to have him in our – like, Ken Schrader not is true. not – Not true. Oh, not wait. true. Let me look in our guest list. He's on there. Oh, He's yeah. He's on there. Is he? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, really? I All love right. Schrader. And we've already talked to Schrader. If he could just stop racing for two seconds. <laughs> yeah. We'll I've been texting him. with him. Yeah. He's, he's running yeah. that dirt car. Oh, no. Schrader's a definite. I don't know. What, did you, Matthew? Did you give Dale a different list? I know. We no, have, I, th- I thought I, I thought I put it on there. I know I've been texting with him, but we have a list, folks, on um, in the notes of our iPhones that we're all a part of. You know, everybody's here, and uh, 
He's not on it. There's a lot of other people on the list. But I'm thank go you. That's a right great. <laughs> so that's a great thing that I think a lot of our listeners can do is try to uh, give us some advice on who you'd like to see on the show. And Schrader would be awesome because me and him have some great history. And he obviously uh, was a great friend of my dad's, great friend of mine. Um, so that would be a lot of fun for me. Uh, keep those uh, ideas coming. All right. Matthew Hacker wants to know, what's your favorite TV show? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not really watching a show right now. I, 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 I guess The Office was my favorite TV show. And, and uh, I watch a lot of documentaries. love documentaries. And that's just kind of, I just scroll the internet and see what people are talking about and which ones I need to watch and what documentaries are cool right now. And then I'll try to watch it. Me and Amy will sit down and watch them together. All right, that'll be it today. All right, thanks for tuning in to uh, Dirty Mo Media's YouTube channel at Ask Junior Live. Presented by Nationwide. Presented by Nationwide. And Ralph. Perfect. Trying to remember what brought this up, but me and my wife were hanging out the other day, and we're talking about some of the dumb things that we did as kids that got us hurt injuries that we had. (laughs) And so we thought, I thought, you know, we're always trying to, oh, yeah, so... Something, we were talking about batteries or something with a battery, an issue with a battery. And I told Amy, I said, man, that reminds me of when I was a little boy and I had these little Tonka uh, excavator, you know, uh, things and little tractors and stuff. And the uh, I had worn out the excavator's arm so it wouldn't stay where I wanted it to be. And the way I figured out how to get this arm to do what I wanted it to, I could pinch a AA battery in the hinge of the arm. What? And it would hold the arm in place, so my tractor would do what I wanted it. And one time I was uh, twisting the arm and squeezing that battery, and it shot something in my eye. Ooh. Right. And so I had to have my eye flushed out, uh, and I was, like, really close to doing some real damage there. But it got me thinking, man, this is a great segment for the show, is to see uh, if our listeners would would give us some ideas on some of the dumb things they did as kids that might be similar to that. <laughs> and we had a, a real good turnout, wouldn't you say, we Leah? We had a ton of responses. I think I spent all day Friday just laughing. Right. and We and went out to lunch, and that's all we kept on doing was <laughs> laughing about it. Do you have a favorite? I have a few favorites. Yeah. Um, there was a couple that I was trying to read to Dillner that I couldn't even get them out because I couldn't stop laughing. Right, um, probably Travis Plank sled riding downhill backwards and hit a tree spread eagle, spent the night in the hospital <laughs> with two crushed vertebrae, and talked like Mickey Mouse for a couple of days. I guarantee it. <laughs> I, I guarantee like, it. Oh, that's not good. Mike, do you got a you got a story as doing something as a kid that ended up resulted in an injury or I've done more dumb things as an adult, unfortunately, but I, 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 I remember uh, in in school, this was actually in in, in middle school. But uh, you know the the pipe cleaner, the little wire cleaner, uh, the the wire stuff that bends. I don't know. It's oh, got yeah. the little yeah. fuzzy stuff. You yep. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a power outlet next to me, and I got that pipe cleaner, and and, <laughs> and the power outlet's a hole, and I got this cleaner, and I stuck it in there, <laughs> and kaboom. And the, you know, I don't know in your school, but like every every one of the classrooms had the television. <laughs> Ours didn't work for the rest of the year. Like it it it, it was done. It fried it by me sticking it. You know, it wasn't even plugged in. Did I, you get electrocuted? No, but it wow. scared the <laughs> crap out of me. And everybody looked at me when they realized I was okay. And then it, there's that moment when you're safe and everybody knows you're fine, and it just turns. You idiot! Yeah. Like you know, like, like <laughs> now it's concern for your safety. To you're the stupidest guy ever, and that was really dumb. 
and that was something that I could have got hurt a lot worse. Sure. Or, or could have been hurt at all. That's not one of my prou- prouder moments. I fell off a train, broke my <laughs> broke my butt, broke my tailbone in fourth grade. What were you doing on it? Like, was it I wasn't moving? supposed to be on it. No, no. It was, uh, I lived in Chattanooga. At the, they got this big train museum, old depot called the Chattanooga Choo Choo. And there's a train and it says, do not walk. It says, do not go on this thing. I was on it. It was a field trip. And uh, I was on it and I fell off and landed straight on my butt, right? And Good broke. Sit. Yeah, uh, I had. To, there's nothing more mortifying than having to wear a cushion. One of those they called them donuts, and it looked like a. It's like a fluffy toilet seat, and you had to wear it uh, in school in class <laughs> oh, for a outside month, the pants or for in a it? month. No, outside. I'm going to stick it in my pants. No, <laughs> duct tape it on there. No, you've clearly never broken your tailbone no. before. But I did that. That was dumb. Two dumb <laughs> things. I've given you two dumb things. Oh uh, my goodness. One of our listeners, Swans Bob. <laughs> Six years old, goofing around on the stairs with his brother, went down and chipped his front tooth. Ten years old, playing tag, tripped in the sand, face first into a steel slide, chipped an adult front tooth. Sixteen years old, in the rain on my ten-speed sharp corner, face plant, chipped another adult tooth. Yeah, his I nickname is too. Chip. <laughs> Chip, Swan's Bob. Dillner, what you got? What? As far as me, dumb moments? Yeah, I don't do anything stupid. Come on. Okay, come on. I know you find that. Actually, I, as a kid, I didn't. I was probably uh, I was living down here, so I was in my twenties, and we were having some beers, uh, playing. I think it was NASCAR Bill Elliott Challenge. You know, mm-hmm. where you press that button to keep it on the bottom, Talladega. And we had such a close finish, it was going like going to give us the result, and we were like, ah! And I won, and I was like, yeah! And I celebrated, and I kind of leaned over, and I tore my MCL. What? What? You tore your MCL Playing celebrating? Playing a video game. <laughs> celebrating a Bill Elliott NASCAR a, challenge. My goodness. Win. God Almighty. I like to win. Treadmill or something. Get in better shape. <laughs> <laughs> I was in good shape back how then. Do you run a, how do you tear an MCL <laughs> video game? <laughs> I'm an idiot. That is. What other ones do you see on there that are funny? Shaggy Pup. Said when he threw a water balloons out of a tree, one of the cars that ended up getting hit was an off-duty policeman. <laughs> the injury that he received was an ass whooping when he got home. Yeah, I guarantee. You. What about Derek? Do you see the one with Derek? Yeah, I tried. I once tried to jump off the top of a slide using a plastic grocery bag as a parachute, and he learned a lot about graphics or gravity Gra- and gravity. physics. Yeah. I, I blended the two together: gravity and physics. <laughs> he learned a lot about graphics. Saw a lot of people that tried to jump out of windows making their own parachutes and things like that. Yeah. Oh, really? We had a lot of those. Yeah. I think every kid's probably tried to build their own wings or you know fly like a bird oh. and all those type of things. But slide, I don't know that slide I would down the staircase in a mattress. One yeah, person. That I would have, you know, jumping off a slide. That's, that doesn't seem that high when you're a kid. No, no. So. You know, doing stuff on your bike. I mean, like you eventually get oh, that yeah. point where you're like, okay, I, th- I can go down these stairs with my bike, you know, or uh, I can do this with my bike. And then you always realize there's a threshold of what you can and cannot do on your bike. <laughs> yeah, Matt Wood had a similar idea when he was five or six. Had uh, built a parachute out of notebook paper and packing tape. I can't imagine why that didn't work. He watched MacGyver. So. Uh, he climbed to a second-story window overlooking the front of their house and took a leap of faith. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. See, that, that would be the one that I would have a hard time doing because I know that I could, you know, as even as a I don't know, five or six years old, that, that's high. Yeah. Wouldn't you be scared? Not, not everybody's that smart, I guess. Right. I mean, Kids jumping off fearless. the top of the slide's one thing, the second floor another. <laughs> Leah, do you have any? No, I was the perfect what? child. I've never broken any bones. So what's I've up never with been what's stitched up. up. Everybody Nothing. in that room over there are not willing to tell the tell their story. I don't have they any. They have a story. I There's literally, a, I, was, I, I did get a black eye once, but that wasn't my okay. fault. 
That was because my dad and my brother were playing catch, and my dad hit me in the face. That's a good story. Yeah. But I don't remember it. I was like, I think I like just started walking. No, wait a second. Oh, my. You've never done anything stupid. I've never broken a bone. No, no, no. no. I'm not asking injury. I'm saying, have you ever done anything stupid? Not injury. Dumb. Just dumb. I don't, You've never done anything. Oh stupid. come on! You have knocked it out of her mind. I, I remember intern Leah with uh, at Gateway. You, you've probably done some goofy things. I don't know what it would be though. Not like I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I don't put myself in dangerous situations. I know I'm boring. I'm boring. It's true. Mark Allen said when he was growing up, they had a clubhouse in the bank of a creek. That sounds freaking cool. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hang out with him. We had an oil can full of used oil, diesel fuel mixed, and they used it to start campfires. And one day, the, his brother was starting the fire, and the can caught on fire itself. And then he threw the can into the creek, and the creek caught fire because it just spreads <laughs> across the top of the water. <laughs> the whole creek's on fire. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. But a clubhouse in the bank of a creek, that's pretty cool. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah that, 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 that'll be our next uh, social media survey. Like, what have you done that's so cool? The dumbest thing, I think, on my... In my memory that I did was I stabbed myself and I was at church when this happened, <laughs> which makes it even even more odd. <laughs> but I had, we were doing the lanterns. We were cutting the top of the milk jugs out to do light uh, candle lanterns or whatever mm. you call those yeah, uh, yeah. On, the, on the street of the church, okay. entering the church, you know. And so there's a, in Sunday school class, there's a lot of us cutting the tops off of these uh, jugs of milk. And I had my pocket knife. Oh, boy, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to get this knife out. I'm going to cut a lot of lanterns open with this thing. I ain't doing this scissors or whatever else everybody else is doing. I'm going to do it with my knife. And in five seconds, I had that knife in my thigh. Oh, gosh. Because I, <laughs> I was trying to cut the jug, and it slipped and went right into my leg. Oh. And I basically got my sister or somebody. I don't, I, don't, maybe, I don't think I was driving at this time. I think this was like 12, 13 years old. But I got. I did not tell my dad or anybody. I didn't even. T- I went right into the bathroom, pulled my pants down to see what was the damage. All right, I got this hole in my leg, and I put butterfly band aids on it until it healed up. I still have a scar, but it should have had probably four or five stitches there. I would have thought you wouldn't have to tell your dad. It would have been obvious because I think that would leave a lot of blood, blood. and stuff like that. Yeah, it did not bleed. It was weird. What? Yeah. Whoa. I mean, it didn't bleed so much that it bled Where are you? Out. Are you like some sort of no. cyborg or something? No. <laughs> I don't want to get too graphic, but I mean, it just, it, it was it was something that I could hide and I did. I hid it and I put butterfly band-aids on it, hoping God, to God that it was going to heal up. Well, you were it, in the right place if you were hoping for God. <laughs> <laughs> oh Divine my intervention God. on this the day It's a miracle. He didn't bleed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't they usually bring people in to see I that sort of stuff? I don't bleed my own blood. <laughs> Good oh lord! Well, all right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Were you afraid? Would you have gotten in big trouble? I think so. I think I would have gotten uh, my knife taken away. I would have uh, been embarrassed. My dad would have thought I was an idiot. Um, so I was trying to avoid all of those things. All of those things still seem better than bleeding to death or, or, or uh, cutting yourself. It's, it seems I like- look, it was like this hole in my leg was three quarters of an inch, maybe half inch long. That's still pretty small. I know. It was a very small, uh, you know, fold open. It didn't even, when the night, it was one of those nights that didn't even stay open. Like it, it didn't have a, 
it didn't have a catch to hold it open. Okay. It would kind of oh, fold up yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was super dangerous, stupid. Um, <clears throat> very, I, 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 hey, I'm embarrassed. This is the, yeah, this is the dumb. This is the dumb segment. <laughs> is, dumb is, things you've done. Admit, yeah. admit that you're dumb, and that, right, that's yeah. a, it's a good thing. It's a therapy thing. Yeah, you should Leah, try it sometime, Leah. Leah. <laughs> Leah, you see how this works? Dumb and injured. <laughs> All right, Mike, time for the white flag. Let's send it home. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. White flag. White flag. Uh, it's a big week this week, you guys. Anybody oh. want to take a stab why? I mean, you know, there's uh, that Green thing. Green beer? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there's that thing you that do. That thing, yeah. Uh, uh, Dirty Mo Media's newest video original series, you guys. Oh! The Drop. Man, I'm excited about this. It's debuting Wednesday. This stars Bubba Wallace in ways that you may have never seen Bubba Wallace before, hopefully. Now, look, and I'm going to already tell you, it ain't for everybody. It ain't for everybody. There's going to be that, that one person who's going to sit there and like, I don't get it. Well, that's because it's not for you, but it is for others. So I'm excited about this. It's very new for us. Uh, the drop, it'll debut Wednesday. Is that right, guys? I mean, is that, is yeah. that what we're talking yeah. about? Yep. Right. yep. This is the part of the white flag that I tell you to watch the Dale Jr. Download television show every Tuesday on NBC Sports Network. Uh, I, I, now that we've done five or six episodes, do we like the hour TV show or do you miss the old 30-minute show? You uh-huh. like the hour? What? I love it. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't want the hour, when are we and going, now I like it. When are we going to be two? Oh, oh Brian! I'll be here until two in the morning. Hey, Once we aim we, we aim to continue to grow and to take over. Mike, I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about that Bubba Wallace stuff, man. Man, I'm glad to hear it because uh, I'm Dirty Mo Media. To you. That's right. We're expanding original content. We're expanding like RCR back in the 80s, early 80s. <laughs> we don't know how we're doing, but we're that's just right. doing it. That's right. That's right. Um, listen, uh, last week I was talking to a former NASCAR driver. Who <laughs> 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 Mike's knocking down things. Um, you know, the, that, that driver you asked me to talk to that was uh, writing his own book, I was talking to him, and he was seeking advice for us because of the success of Racing to the Finish. And yeah. it got me thinking that, you know, this Racing to the Finish is every bit as important today as it was the day it dropped uh, back in October. And so I wanted to make Good sure point. I put it in this week. Uh, racing to the finish, you can still find it. You may know somebody that needs to see it. There's still still people out there that need it. And uh, you can go to dalejunior.com slash book to purchase your copy. And that's it for White Flag today. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good job on the White Flag. Here's some odd history for you. Rusty Wallace was black flag for jumping a restart at Martinsville Speedway in October 97. That's not the weird part. He did give the win to Jeff Burton. But after the race... Wallace cursed on a radio interview and was fined five grand by NASCAR. So, you know, <laughs> fans talk about, you know, or, or drivers complain about getting getting fined for saying things. Well, it happened back then, too. Good. <laughs> At Charlotte, the next week, Wallace brought an armored truck carrying 500,000 pennies to the track That's and delivered right. them to Bill that. France to pay his fine. That's awesome. <laughs> I had never heard the context of that. Yeah. I heard he had done that, but I didn't know why. Well, now why. I do. That's the most gangster way to pay your fine ever. Of course, NASCAR wouldn't accept, and he eventually had to write a check instead of the pennies, but his point was made. And you know what? We will be able to ask him about that next week. He is our next guest. Next week's guest, Rusty Wallace. That's all for today's show. Thanks for everybody uh, on tuning in. We hope you enjoyed Kirk Shelmerdeen, future Hall of Famer. Dang straight. Dang straight. We'll see you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.